Hi, it's Michael Kerr here presenting Small Business Banter. A healthy micro and small business sector means a successful economy and a more vibrant society. Small Business Banter is about helping regional business owners better prepare for current challenges, but also for the next stage of business success. I'm Michael Kerr, founder of Kerr Capital, advisors to business owners. Each week, I interview a fellow small business owner or an expert, and they share their stories, their lived experiences, the wins and the losses, and their best advice to help you, the listener, get the most you can from your own business. Small Business Banter is brought to you from the studios of 104.7 Gippsland FM and is heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And thanks also to Kerr Capital, supporters of the show. Welcome into another edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast. I'm really pleased to welcome in today Francis Lochran, who was the founder of Future Food, a food and beverage consultancy. And what we're going to be chatting to Francis about today is his experience starting that business, a very successful business, and then recently uh, transitioning it to some uh, staff buyers. So, Looking forward to getting to the conversation. Francis, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Michael, for giving me the opportunity to introduce my business and the journey that I came on over the 34 years of consultancy. Yeah, look, um, the the business was um, very successful. Uh, I think you were a a complete forerunner in your industry. Um, The business, uh, you can tell people in a minute what it did, but I, I do want to speak for you in the sense that you achieved many great things, including taking the business to international shores from Australia. So quite an achievement. Um, do you want to just talk briefly about what Future Food remains as a business? And then we'll, then we'll, then if you could tell us a little bit about how you got started in, in that business and that industry. Yes, that would give me great pleasure. So food and, um, Future Food is a consultancy that was um, developed um, by the need for many sectors of the industry looking for independent management advice on how to set up, manage, and assess food and beverage operations. Those food and beverage operations today include planning food and beverage in shopping centres, in airports, in transit hubs, shopping centre um, precincts of large, medium and extremely large like the Dubai Mall and projects like Westfield and Sydney, Westfield, Melbourne, Westfield, Doncaster, Westfield, Auckland and again other areas of expertise um, running tenders and expression of interest for local government council and also looking at very specialist areas such as developing uh, food and beverage concepts for hotel groups. So Holiday Inn, for example, will come to us and say we're developing a new hotel in Geelong and we need to know what the food and beverage mix should be for that. So we look at the total trade area of Geelong, where are the gaps in the concepts, 
what are the gaps in every hotel in relation to what they need? So the gaps are always, you must produce a food and beverage all day dining for breakfast, lunch and dinner for your hotel guests. That's part of your commitment for hotel license. Then you always want to have a residence bar. Along with that, you want a specialty restaurant. So at the end of the day, Future Food can provide food and beverage across all sectors of commercial enterprise for food and beverage. Underpinning that is is how important food, like from a consumer's point of view and, and from a landlord or a um, any other operator's point of view, food has become so important and you can't just get away with fried stuff. And that's been Definitely the case for not. a long time and that's what you're expert at. That's correct. Look, going back to the early days, 1989, 1990, when we started consulting both here in Australia and New Zealand, we could see very clearly that those shopping centres that were able to offer quality food and beverage beyond the mom and dad cafe or the fried food outlet, those shopping centres, those retail precincts, those leisure parks, those theatres, government buildings, museums, galleries, those outlets, universities as well, they were all looking for food and beverage to be part of the experience, to offer service to the students, to the travellers, to the shoppers. They also wanted to to see clearly how they could maximise their rental value and asset value. Food will generate excellent rents. Food will generate food traffic over six or seven days a week. Food will generate revenue for breakfast, lunch, afternoon, early evening and late evening. And even food today is considered a major part of any standalone uh, retail precinct or cinema complex, which we call entertainment and leisure complexes. So food continues to shape the asset value and most of all, the point of difference and the revenue streams that developers and owners and managers want. Yeah, so so what that parlays to, if I can uh, paraphrase that, is if you've got a, a building and you have a substandard food offering, people will either not come or they'll stay less time in the building. Um, therefore, trade, you know, whoever's in the building as a tenant um, you know, won't, won't have the foot traffic so that the, the, they'll pay less rent. If flip that around, you've got high-quality food offerings, you'll, people will come for that and, and you know, possibly and likely stay longer. So that, that's how it transitions so the rent increases, therefore the value of the of the premises or the building increases. Is that the That's the correct, yes. Yeah. So the the average spend is based upon the quality. So good coffee, five dollars, multiplied by six hundred cups of coffee a day, which equates to the revenue that the landlord will then look at that over a three hundred and sixty five day period. And then we'll, then they'll set the rental value against that and any percentage rent that they can get as a second revenue stream. So from a landlord's point of view, when the operator trades to maximum capacity, maximum sales, maximum profit, the landlord also shares in that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what we call the business of food. And the business of food is the core platform in which you understand your fixed and variable costs in order to maximise profit 
for the operator and to understand your renting contributions and outgoings to your landlord and other suppliers. Yeah, so it, it, you, you really it clearly know your industry extremely well and we might might come back to some more of, of how the business operates. Can, can we, before it gets away on me at least, could, could you tell us how and why you got started in, in your own business yes, and course. in Future Food? Yes, of course. So um, my background was um, always in food and beverage management. I trained in Ireland and in London. And when I came to Australia, I had a position as a senior lecturer at Victoria University. Part of that was that when I arrived in Australia at the age of 28, I needed to go into industry in Australia. I'd never worked in Australia. So I started doing functions and events, special catering projects and one-off catering projects. So I was learning while I was lecturing and I was getting an insight into the industry. And that showed me quite clearly that there was a demand for my skills to bring expertise into training food and beverage um, operations, setting up businesses, bringing an international standard of work. And that filtered through over a period of three or four years where I was able to balance my lecturing commitments and training commitments and then transfer that into part-time consultancy. So in 1993, I was able to set up Future Food as a fully-fledged food and beverage consultancy with a team that would support me in developing um, a range of services to plan, manage and evaluate food and beverage operations in Australia and in New Zealand. That continued uh, across many sectors and that continued then to take us into the Asian market in 1994 with projects in Indonesia, projects in Singapore, projects in Malaysia and China. It's, it sounds like a fairly explosive start and you came and you, you know, in academia, and but then coupled that with uh, uh, working on the tools, as they say, and you know, getting some rich experience. But to to um, achieve uh, having clients in 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 offshore places within uh, sounds like four or five years is pretty pretty impressive. So you must have been doing something uh, very uh, very helpful and um, quite progressive. And I think for me, it's always about looking at a situation and going into a restaurant, going into a function, a venue, going into a gallery, going into an airport and say, this is 2000. In the year 2000, what is best practice? This operation is scoring six out of 10 in its performance financially, and it's scoring maybe 6.5 in its operation. So looking at the business of food and best practice benchmark, explain to the client in a structured and disciplined way, this is what you need to do to grow your food and beverage and to make sure that this asset is complementing your overall building or your food and beverage is drawing food traffic and off that food traffic, other retail operations and other services are benefiting from that as well. So direct approach, being direct, being honest and delivering the goods. Stay with your client and stay focused. Yeah. So um, 
did did what was the motivation for you to start the business? Did you was it a combination of seeing an opportunity and and from what you just said and the way you said it was it things need to be better or can be better and I want to make an impact by or yes. I want to make a difference. Exactly, say. things can be better. Food and beverage doesn't have to be difficult. It's things can be better. More profit can be made. The operator can have more pride in his business and you will have satisfied customers. Food and beverage is a catalyst to drive food traffic. People will walk an extra block. They will go up in an elevator to the second floor if it's a cocktail bar or the top floor of the cocktail bar, wherever it is, because the product justifies the effort to go there. And it's really important not to cut corners with food and beverage Good quality ingredients, produced and served with pride, training staff, understanding your costs, and then assess it. What can we do better? And then assess it again. How can we make it better still? Food and beverage is a live working experience. It's not like clothes hanging on a rack. Food and beverage is about meat, greet and seat. Meet your customer with the best product. Seat them at a table in an environment where they're comfortable and secure and um, seat them in such a way that they feel welcome and that they're there to spend money. That's excellent. And on today's edition of Small Business Banter Community Radio and Podcast, talking with Francis Loughran, founder at Future Food and recent um, seller of that business. Francis, um, can you talk a little bit about the, the you, you've achieved a lot over the years. Uh, I'm not sure that you started out with an exit in mind, but we'll talk about the exit in, uh, in a, at a later time. What were the hardest parts about getting started in your own business? The hardest part for me was, in the beginning, was making sure that I was able to document the cases and the work that I'd done to date. Because in the beginning, people would say to me, what do you do? They'd never met a food service consultant. They hadn't worked with anybody who was a food service consultant. They didn't know there was a team of skills out there that could plan, manage, and execute and review their business for them and enlighten them on what they needed to do. So the first 10 years of the 34 years of consulting, I spent lecturing, uh, presenting at conferences and conventions and small groups and organization and property management council breakfasts and property council meeting morning teas where they get a group of property managers in and we would go in and explain who we are and what we do using a PowerPoint presentation to show the range of skills that we had and the projects that we've worked on recently. That education paid off because once we established that the client in property management, ownership, development, etc., knew that our skills was there, then they came back to us year after year after year. So that's a, that's a significant investment, and it really is educating the broader market, isn't it? About- that's right, because we, we knew that we had the skills yeah. to address the solutions that they needed, but we had to document those and communicate them in order to secure the position. Did did they always know that they needed it, or, or was there was it partly about 
you, the, your language was the business of food and you could demonstrate that better food equals more rent equals higher. Of course. Yep. We would, I would stand with my client in front of their shop, their cafe, their restaurant, and I would explain to them what I see. And they would often say to me, Francis, I would never have gathered that. I would never have identified that problem. I'd never identified that I had no signage at the front of my business. I didn't identify that my service was bad or that on my menu, I didn't have any vegetarian choices that people wanted and my coffee was bad. People do not know what they do not know. And a lot of people go into business, especially in food outlets, because they think it's going to be easy. Food operations, food management, and food profitability is not easy. It has a disciplined approach, it has a process, and it has an end goal. And those have to be explained under the banner of the business of food. Yeah, it's um, it's a very glamorous industry. And and I know from, from my own experience, it does attract people that have always dreamed about running a cafe or a, or a winery or a restaurant and you know and, and it's wonderful that we have that um, enthusiasm and that entrepreneurship but it, it you know when you the way you talk it's it's very clear that there's a lot of science and a lot of process behind making any of those sorts of businesses successful in, including your own exactly exactly and there are five stages to any business and those five stages are actually the services that you explain to your potential client or existing client so that they understand that stage one feeds into stage two as to three as to four and then five so that those master planning stages have a sequence and you know first of all is who is my customer and what do they want and that is crucial because everybody might turn around and say in a meeting, we want a six-star cafe, we want a six-star food court. That is not what their customer wants. The customer wants food and beverage positioned at the spend category in which they are pitched. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a fundamental question, an important question for any business, isn't it? Just, to, you know, who is your you know, customer? What are we shooting for? But, okay, that's, that's one. And then... What are the others in your... Well, first of all, um, the first of all is what I call the client engagement. Listen to what the client is telling you that they want. Help them understand what you believe that they should want. So that engagement stage one is who are my customers and what do I want? And what is the concept or the developed project that we are going to agree on? Number two. There's a lot of listening in that, isn't there? A lot of listening because the client has to tell you what they believe they want. And you have to ask them, is that what you believe is going to maximize your business? Because you have to get the product and the customer aligned so that the customer will come back time and time again. If you get it wrong, in today's business where you're paying six, seven thousand dollars a square meter fit out and you're paying ten or twelve percent rent plus outgoings and labor cost and food cost, you cannot afford to get it wrong. Because if you do, the financial um the financial downside of that 
is extremely de- uh, devastating. Well, you, you, you've, you're so far invested in capital before you even open the door, aren't you? You have. It's an expensive industry because you're um, not only locking into a rental or built environment, you're locking into fit-out, yeah. kitchen, extraction, staff training, yeah. liquor licensing, pre-opening, and everything else to do with the comfort levels of a modern food and beverage tenancy coupled with any form of entertainment or special features. Yeah, yeah. so I, I can see I can see your deep expertise here in excuse me, in understanding and and guiding businesses through to um, greater success. So, sorry, I I have interrupted, but can we go through two to five relatively quickly? Because I I still want to kind of put them in context of your experience as a business owner. Yes, of course. So number one is obviously the client engagement. Number two is the trade area review. Look at what is in the proposed trade area. What's existing? What has done well? And where's the gap analysis? Yeah, it's like your marketplace and your competitors. In, in, your complete marketplace. Yeah. You're using yeah. technology yeah. for your pinpoint uh, market technology through digital engagement. Number three, obviously, you've got the um, the business case, which is a projected turnover and cash flow for the first five years. Number four, you've got your food and beverage concept. Which concept or concepts are going to fit into that marketing stage, the market gap stage? And then number five, of course, is the built environment, producing the brief for the size of restaurant, its interior design positioning, and its modus operandi. So it's so it's so comprehensive. I, I, I sense that in your, I think you had 34 years in that's correct. So, was a was one of the the big aims coming up to preparing to sell the business. Actually, no. If I go back even further, to service your clients properly was to to think hard and and document these processes and this this five step process for making success out of a site. I mean, is that deeply embedded into the? Oh business? yes, most definitely. Systems and procedures. What what. What was the criteria for stage one to be developed and research? What's the criteria for stage two? What is the criteria for the business case? The business case has to be looked at in so many ways. It has to be looked at that the 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 cost of setting up the business and the rate of return is only one part of it. It's getting the business case set up that the average spend, whether that's a cup of coffee at $5.08, including credit card charges, or is it a $49 main course? So you have to understand that that projection is clearly built on knowing the menu, knowing the customer spend, and then looking at the food traffic multiplication. Yeah. And and this is, in dealing with business owners day-to-day who are at the start of their business life or maybe near in the end, it's the, the passion and but converting the passion that you clearly have into processes um, and uh, procedures is, is one very effective way to, to build a business that's sustainable because I know from uh, early days it was yourself and you grew to 20 or 25 staff, including probably 10 or 12 consultants who yes. largely ran off 
all of this, um, all these processes that you developed, and and that took a lot of time and effort on your behalf, right? We're talking mm-hmm. ten years to educate the market. We're talking lots of investment of time in documenting all these things. So that that's, I'd say, one of the clear reasons for success in being able to ultimately exit. Would you agree? Most definitely. The ability to have systems and procedures that consultants can be trained, that they can use as guides, and they can explain the process, and that's crucial. Yeah. What What, what else were the like, – because we are going to um, – we're going to come up to the end shortly, and we're going to come back for, for, for the following week and talk – very specifically about your exit and the planning for it. But just to finish around out the the other keys to building something that was sellable and that was successful, we've you know, we've talked about those systems and procedures. We've talked about your personal commitment through those early days. What what are the other things that you really really defined and, and helped set up the business for sale? I think the thing about it was that when you've documented the projects that you worked on. And those projects can be visited by a a potential client or a developer. And you can take them and stand there or you can put a reference contact person that said, we worked with Francis on this. And sorting out the menus for the last three years for BHP has really changed our purchasing, has really changed the diversity of our menu offers. It has reduced wastage. It has increased um, a range of popular dishes to reflect the demographics of the new Indian workforce or the new Muslim workforce or the growth in healthy eating or the growth in females. You can talk with confidence in front of your client and in front of your potential client. And that in itself gives the potential client the confidence to say, this has been a successful project, as as obviously explained. Uh, I um, will go with future food. Yeah, don't and don't you don't need to listen to me. You can read about the success. Call it a testimonial or an endorsement. Exactly. Of but I think exactly. again, underpinning a good testimonial is your just and future foods. You know, total commitment to getting it getting it right in the first place, using all of that IP that you've developed over many years. And and then and, and talking the, the business of food, right? And and converting traffic to, to, to money ultimately, not that it's all just about money, but it's a very um, well understood yes. currency. Francis, on this is that's that's all we've got time for today. We're going to um, for those listening, we're gonna come back uh, in the next episode and we're gonna talk very specifically from the beginning about Francis's approach to planning for a sale of the business. And I'm really looking forward to that, Francis. Thanks so much for your time today. Michael, and thank you, Michael. So that is all for today's episode of Small Business Banter. I continue to be inspired, bringing you small business experts and other small business owners and hearing their stories. If you want to listen to any past episode, jump onto your podcast platform of choice and search Small Business Banter. There you will find a diverse and fascinating collection of small business owners and experts openly discussing and sharing their experiences. For any of the links, resources or information we've talked about on the show today or to contact me, please head over to smallbusinessbanter.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. 
And it would be great to have you tune in the same time next week for another episode of Small Business Banter. 